Greetings, friends, and welcome once again to the Heart of Spurgeon, a podcast working through the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, an eminent preacher of the gospel whose sermons in their own day and in days since have done so much good to so many souls with the blessing of God. This week, the sermons that we've been reading through are from 143 to 149 in the third volume of the New Park Street Pulpit. And if you'd like to follow along with those, you can find us either on Twitter at Reading Spurgeon, or you can sign up at the Media Gratii website for a weekly newsletter with the sermons day by day set out. But you may also know that every week we try to identify one particular sermon that we hope will be hope will be a particular blessing to people, and we also try and make that uh, representative, so that you're getting not just uh, Spurgeon on a certain angle, as it were, but uh, something of the whole range of his ministry. And for that reason, today we're looking at Sermon 145, which was preached in August 1857, uh, the Sabbath morning, Sunday the 9th of August, at the Royal Surrey Gardens, the music hall there, from the text, You shall love your neighbour as yourself, Matthew 19 and verse 19, and with the simple title, Love Your Neighbour. Love thy neighbour. Now, Spurgeon is as I hope many of you will already know, by no means a mere moralist in the pulpit. In fact, he righteously rails against some of the preachers of his day whose message is basically uh, do good and be better. He knows that that's uh, an utterly vain and pointless exhortation apart from the regenerating and renovating power of the Holy Spirit in the heart of man, bringing the saving power of Jesus Christ to bear upon the soul. But though Spurgeon recognises that mere morality saves no one, he also recognises that the law of God contains these moral precepts which belong to the people of God. They are both the standard which exposes us when we fall short of it, but also the standard that directs us when enlivened and energised by the power of God's Spirit. And so his introduction to this sermon reminds us that our Saviour very often preached upon the moral precepts of the law. He says, much of our Saviour's time, very much, was occupied in telling the people what they ought to do towards one another. And many of his sermons are not what our precise critics would in these times call sermons full of unction and power. For certainly they would be far from savoury to the sickly sentimental Christians who do not care about the practical part of religion. So he's reminding us that these are still part of the preacher's duty. He says it's as much the business of God's minister to preach man's duty as it is to preach Christ's atonement. And unless he does preach man's duty, he will never be blessed of God to bring man into the proper state to see the beauty of the atonement. And so there is a proper place for the law in preaching the gospel, both in bringing us to Christ and in teaching us how to walk like Christ. And so he's going to zero in on this second great commandment uh, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And it, the outline is very simple. Uh, and actually, one of the striking things about this sermon is the simplicity and the clarity of the outline and the way in which Spurgeon just breaks it down. 
Uh, you may have heard a preacher from time to time and you've said, wow, that uh, that seems so obvious. And you respond, yes, but it wasn't obvious until you showed it to me. Um, that's that's something of what Spurgeon does here. There's a there's just a, a lovely straightforwardness to the way that he handles the text. So he's going to notice the command. He's going to bring some reasons why we should obey it. And he's going to draw some suggestions from the law itself. And when he considers the, the commandment, he identifies that the first commandment, uh, the first great summarizing principle of the first part of the Ten Commandments is that you shall love the Lord your God. And you should do that more than yourself. That's the proper standard. But then the second great commandment that summarizes the second portion of the Ten Commandments is that you shall love your neighbor. And the standard there, though lower than the first, is still preeminently high. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here's this simplicity and clarity, three parts. Whom am I to love? My neighbor. What am I to do? I'm to love him. And how am I to do it? I'm to love him as myself. So whom am I to love? I am to love my neighbor. And he wants us to understand that that's any person who is near to us, anybody who is dwelling alongside of us or, or walking with us. He reminds us of how the Samaritan tended the wounded Jew on the road to Jericho because he was his neighbor as he came across him. And so it is with us. And Spurgeon wants to remind us then that we are to love our neighbor regardless of some of the things that typically would stop us loving those with whom we come into contact. And so he says you're to love your neighbor if he's in riches and you are poor or if you are poor and he is rich. Very often, he says, there's a lot of envy and discontent when you see somebody who is rich or there can be disdain and disgust for those who are poor. And he reminds us that whether you're rich or poor, you are both men and that there is a responsibility, a duty to love one another. So we are to love our neighbor, even if they are of a different religion to us. Now, uh, in Spurgeon's day in London, probably the the things that he has in mind may be uh, either the, the atheist, so-called, who denies that there is a God. He also mentions the Orthodox Jew, who also would have been uh, there in London. And today, not only do we have uh, our Jewish friends, not only do we have our uh, atheistic friends, but we also have people from every tribe and tongue and nation who are in the nations to which we belong. And while I say that as a Brit, uh, and I think of the, the countries who are now represented, even on the very street in which I live, it's also true that a lot of British people are now living in other parts of the world. So wherever we are, we have uh, the, the nations of the world, and they've, they've come around us. They're now uh, living among us. And so we are to love them, even though they may be of a, a different religion, and we might say a different culture. But we are to love our neighbor also, although he might oppose us in trade, though there might be some kind of competition with that person. And again, Spurgeon's context means as a, a lot of small businessmen. But uh, we again think of the, the variety of interactions that we may have with people in our daily dealings. 
with whomsoever, says Spurgeon, you have dealings in your business, he is your neighbour. With whomsoever you trade, be he greater or less than you, he is your neighbour. And the Christian law commands that you shall love your neighbour. So whatever may be the interactions you have, whatever may be the relationship that you sustain, whatever may be the natural tensions that might exist between you and your fellow men, you are to love your neighbour. And you're to love your neighbour, though he might offend you with his sin. Now, I think perhaps this is something that we need to remember if we're Christians today, that sin ought to offend us. It ought to distress us when we see the wickedness of our streets. Perhaps we become so accustomed to sin that we, we shrug it off. But no, says Spurgeon, if the man is a rogue or a thief or a liar, you cannot love his roguery or you'd be a rogue yourself. You cannot love lying lest you should be untrue. But you are bound to love the man. And though you are wronged by him, not just looking out there and seeing sin generically, but sin that might be done against you, yet I must not harbour one vindictive feeling. But as I would desire God to forgive me, so I must forgive him. Ah, my hearers, says Spurgeon, as he thinks about this whole package, you do not love your neighbours. You know you do not. You do not hardly love all the people who go to the same chapel. That's a, a pointed comment for most of us if we're part of a Christian congregation, that it's hard enough for us to love the people who are outside, and in part that's because we're not very good at loving the people who are inside the kingdom of God. How can I expect you to love your enemies if you don't love your friends? Well, that's a, a painful lesson for us to learn. That's something that we need to take to heart, that we, we ought to practice our loving on those who are closest to us. And then perhaps we might begin to be able to love our enemy, love our uh, those who are against us, for each one is truly our neighbour. But then, what am I to do to my neighbour? I am to love him. It is a hard word, he says, to love. It's not enough for you to say that you don't hate your neighbour. You are to love him. Again, such an important principle that uh, we don't just try and eradicate vice. We need to cultivate virtue. It's not enough for us to be not unholy. God calls us to be holy. The Lord does not say, I'd like you to hate your neighbour less, but positively and actively to love him. And that means that even the way that we do good needs to be loving. Spurgeon talks about charity thrown to a poor man as a bone is thrown to a dog without loving it. I've seen money given to those who needed it with not one half the politeness with which hay is given to a horse. He's emphasised already with regard to riches and poverty, the dignity of every man. And the point is that you need to obey the command, your heart going with your hand, so that there's a kindness, not just in the deed, but in the way the deed is done, the, the compassion that comes out, not just in the act itself, but in the manner in which you conduct yourself. And he says, though it may be hard, you need to crack on with this duty. He who dares the most shall win the most. And if rough be your path of love, tread it boldly and still on, loving your neighbours through thick and thin. And then he's got a couple of further thoughts, that such love would prohibit all rash anger, that it would stop us being quickly impatient and dismissive. 
Deal with others as you would deal with yourself. Harbour no revenge. Don't let the sun set on your anger. It's impossible to love your neighbour if you do so. Revenge renders obedience to this command out of the question. But again, don't neglect him. Don't just walk past. You've got an opportunity when you've got a needy neighbour to be kind in thought and in word and in deed. And again, it's this positive investment. It's this deliberate engagement. And it puts aside everything that is akin to covetousness and envy and makes us at all times ready to serve them, ready to be their footstool so that we may prove to be the children of Christ. You see, obedience to the command demonstrates a relationship to the God whose command it is. And he says, here's true Christianity, not a a sort of a passive and supine uh, sentimentality, but an active and deliberate pursuit of love, even if it brings us to the lowest point. And then how are you to love your neighbor? As yourself. Not as you love your house or your estate or your purse. How high then is love your neighbor as yourself, he says, as the gospel standard. How much does a man love himself? None of us too little and some of us too much. And that's the standard for the way that we obey this commandment. We do it as ourselves and this would turn the world upside down. But secondly, major heading, why should we obey this command? And he says the best reason in all the world is that with which we will begin because God says so. Now I wonder how many of us feel the force of that particular statement. To the Christian, there is no argument so potent, so powerful as God's will. God's will is the believer's law. When God speaks, we obey. We cannot do so without the help of the Holy Spirit, but it's a simple fact that we are called upon to do what God tells us and that in that we prove not only that we love our neighbor, but that we love the God who's spoken his commands to us. And then he kind of twists it a little bit. He says selfishness itself would bid you to love your neighbours. He's uh, not being uh, inherently selfish. He's not trying to uh, push it too far. But he's basically saying if you really want happiness, then try to make others happy. Uh, The world is bad enough, but it's not so bad as to not feel the power, uh, as not to feel the power of kindness. He said, yeah, even if you're you're selfish, at least be wisely selfish. You, you do good to others and it brings a blessing to yourself. And then you love your neighbor because that will be the way to do genuine good in the world. This is how you, you, you bless others. It's how you bring the, the glory of God to bear. A man's good requires kindness again. And the best way for you to make the world better is to be kind yourself. And then love your neighbor because there's a great deal of misery in the world that you don't know about. This is a really good reminder for us. We are so quick to jump to conclusions about other people. We are so quick to impute particular motives to people. We're we're justified to some extent in looking at behavior and then understanding intent. But Spurgeon says, remember your ignorance Remember that you can't always jump to conclusions, that you need to understand that there may be hidden sorrows and distresses of which you are not aware. 
And uh, that means that even if you cannot see something, even if you don't uh, understand all that's going on, you need to be so gentle and so tender. And how many of us need this reminder? I know that it's a, a painful reminder for me not to jump to conclusions. And then the last argument, especially appropriate to the Christian, that religion claims your love. Christ loved you before you loved him. He loved you when there was nothing good in you. He loved you though you insulted him. He loved you though you despised him and rebelled against him. It's a gross contradiction to the spirit of your religion, says Spurgeon, and if you do not love your neighbour, I do not see how you can be a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where is he going to go with this? Well, remember his outline, and he spent quite a lot of time developing the, the, the earlier parts of this. First of all, the command, whom am I to love? My neighbour. What am I to do? I'm to love him. How am I to do it? I'm to love him as myself. And there was application woven in there, uh, the, the practical reminders, but then reasons for our obedience to it. And he's told us that God simply commands it. And that in itself is uh, all the uh, argument that most of us should actually need. But then there's a kind of a, a holy selfishness, we might say here, because it's the way that we ourselves are blessed and happy. Then loving your neighbor is how you actually do good in the world. And you need to love your neighbor because there's misery of which you may not be aware. And that this kindness, this compassion, this, this merciful goodness, uh, these are ways in which we can alleviate some of that fearful misery that is around us. Uh, some of you may know if you're listening here in the UK that there's a, a campaign that, that comes to the fore from time to time about uh, mental health issues and uh, the the exhortation is to, to ask people twice. You know, you know how it is. We say to someone, are you doing okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Or how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. And the the reminder that actually a lot of the time that's not true or we just haven't even thought about it, even if it is true. So stop, ask again, are you really okay? Especially if there may be some indications that somebody is distressed and perhaps we would be surprised at how many people could could do with a word of comfort or kindness. Again, I'm not presuming that everybody is uh, in some way uh, afflicted with some particular uh, weakness or distress of mind or body, but many people in a sinful world, carry burdens that it's good for Christians to take into account. And so we need to, to console, to comfort, to help, to assist. And perhaps, in fact, that might open the door for us in many cases to speak the word of the gospel to somebody because they know that we care. And if we care about their, their physical well-being, Perhaps it will help them to realize that when we speak to them of deliverance from the judgment to come, it's because we care about their spiritual well-being as well. We have a regard for the whole person. And so he says, remember too, that religion claims your love. If you do not love your neighbor, I do not see how you can be a true follower of the Lord Jesus. Again, that ought to... Oh, rip into some of us perhaps a little bit. 
that we are very slow to show the love of the, of the God who has loved us and has given his son for us, the love of the Christ who laid down his life on our behalf. Uh, really, friends, if we follow him, ought this not to be more true of us? And then he actually concludes the third part quite quickly, a weighty suggestion or two. And the first is that all of us then are guilty. If this is God's law, who here can plead that he is not guilty? If God's law demands that I love my neighbour, I must stand in my pulpit and confess my guilt, says Spurgeon. In thinking of this text yesterday, my eyes ran with tears at the recollection of many a hard thing I had spoken in unwary moments. I thought of many an opportunity of loving my neighbour that I had slighted, and I laboured to confess the sin. I am certain there is not one of all this immense audience who would not do the same if he felt this law applied by the Spirit in power to his soul. Now, one of the things that uh, preachers need to remember is that the sermons that come best from us are the ones that have come best to us. The sermons that come most powerfully from our hearts are the ones that have come most powerfully to our hearts, that we need to preach to ourselves what we study before we preach it to others. And here's a, a very good example of, of what that looks like. If we're preaching against sin, have we faced that sin in our own souls? If we're dealing with unrighteousness, do we confess ourselves before God that we have committed unrighteousness in a particular way ourselves? Not, again, generally, but Spurgeon saying, here I am and I'm thinking of the love of God to his people and the love then that his people ought to show to others and I feel how unloving I am and it makes me weep. Now, perhaps that's part of the reason why Spurgeon's sermons came with such force to those who heard them because he was manifestly feeling the weight of what he himself was preaching. But then if we're guilty, however kind we may be, however benevolent we may be, if we have not loved our neighbour as ourselves, if we have not shown that uh, regard for others that is so common in our dealings with ourselves, then it simply enforces that you cannot be saved by your works. Unless you keep this law perfectly, can you be saved? If this is the standard that God expects, how can we claim that we are right with God by our own efforts? And here then comes in the gospel. How this endears the good news to me. If I have broken this law, and I have, and if I cannot enter heaven with this law broken, precious is the Saviour who can wash me from all my sins in his blood. So you see how uh, Spurgeon is uh, using the law of God in in all its proper place and in all its proper force. It exposes us and brings us to Jesus Christ, but it also uh, finds its force from the, the instruction, the command, the example of God in Christ and becomes the standard for the life that God's people ought to live. And he uses it all the way through this sermon to remind us that if we say we are Christ's, then we must obey Christ's commandments. And now he's reminding us that if we are exposed 
by our shortcomings in this regard, if we understand how unloving we really are, then Christ and his salvation, his love in dying in the place of sinners is the the answer that we need. Now, he says, I do not know whether I have been personal to anybody this morning. I sincerely hope I have. I meant to be. And again, what a difference to so many of the uh, the lily-livered preachers that we have today. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be personal. I'm not trying to have a go at anybody. Spurgeon says, I am precisely trying to be personal. I am after your soul. I'm trying to touch your hearts. I know that there are a great many characters in the world that must have a cap made exactly to fit them or else they will never wear it. And I have tried as near as I could to do it. He, he wants every member of this congregation to understand I'm speaking to you about your love for your neighbour and whether or not you have any of this in your soul. If you will not say how well that applied to my neighbour, but just for once say how well it applied to me, I shall hope that there will be some good follow from this exhortation. So often, again, it's easy for us to, to come out from a sermon and say, well, I hope Mr. Green was listening to that. I hope Mrs. Brown was paying attention to that. I, I hope my son, my daughter was listening well. I, I hope my wife's or husband has taken that to heart. I hope that person who, who just did that to me was listening this morning or this evening. Spurgeon says, what about you? Are you listening? Are you hearing and heeding the word of God? And he says that there might be an antinomian, somebody who has no regard for the law. And he says, ah, that was just a legal sermon. Well, says Spurgeon, I love that precious antinomian. I don't care about his opinion. Christ preached like that and I shall do the same. But I do want that man, that woman to know the love of God in Christ and its consequences in binding the heart to God and keeping us in the way of his commandments. It is right, he says, that Christians should be told what they should do, and that worldlings, those who are still lost in their trespasses and sins, should know what Christianity will lead us to, that the highest standard of love, of kindness, uh, should be uplifted in the world and kept constantly before the people's, people's eyes. The Bible tells us what to do. The Bible tells you, Christian, how to live. And when we obey it, Christians are seen in the world to be true standard bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us then seek to take these things to heart and to live in a way that brings praise and honour to the God of love by loving our neighbour as ourselves. I'm Jeremy Walker and you have been listening to From the Heart of Spurgeon, a podcast from Media Gratii. We would love other people to learn about these truths, so please leave us a review on your favourite podcast app. Thank you very much indeed for listening.